Good evening, and welcome to the Ecology Hour. I'm Anna Halligan, and tonight I am live in the studio. So tonight's show, as I just mentioned, is live, and I am joined by Sue Coulter, the Education Program Coordinator for the Noyo Center for Marine Sciences. And she is going to join me in a discussion about the history benefits and impacts of plastics in our world. So consider the amount of plastics you put in the trash or recycling on a typical day. There's the lid to your coffee cup, a bag from a store, a wrapper on a granola bar, a yogurt container, a salad clamshell, and the plentiful packaging from inside a box that arrived in the mail. Many of these plastics are convenient, but they also come with a high environmental cost. In fact, the U.S. can generate more plastic trash than any other country, and in some estimates that equals 287 pounds per person in one year. By the time these disposable products are in your hands, they've already taken a toll on the planet. They are mostly made from fossil fuels through an energy-intensive process that emits greenhouse gases, and often creates hazardous chem chemicals. And then there is what happens when you throw them away. And this is where I turn to my guest, Sue Coulter, also known as Sue Magoo, if you've worked in the community with her. And I just wanna say thank you for joining and welcome to the Ecology Hour. Yay, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to have this uh, talk with you. I know the, the Noyo Center um, has an ongoing lecture season, series and you recently gave a talk that was focused on plastic. And I thought maybe we could just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the Noyo Center. All right, um, so let's see. I have been teaching for over 30 years, an independent teacher. I got certified to teach art um, but ended up moving up to Mendocino in uh, 1997 and um, instantly, thanks to Pam Huntley, got pulled into uh, Nature Day Camp and outdoor science education. And so that's a bulk of what I've been doing over the last 25 years, working with homeschoolers, working with the Green School back before it was Casper Creek Center at Montessori Del Mar, um, I've done an after-school program at Three Rivers, so various different hats depending upon uh, which part of my last 25 years. So my good friend Sarah Grimes, who I had been doing outdoor uh, science field trips at Point Cabrillo with, along with Pam Huntley and did Nature Day Camp, um, was on board with Noya Center before me and let me know that there was this new nonprofit focusing around the ocean and uh, that they were going to be developing education around it and would I be interested. So that was back in, I'm always confused about the years, 20, 2014, 2015, 2015 maybe. So um, we came up with a kind of a pilot project that we launched at uh, Montessori Del Mar then and then from there came up with um, interactive uh, age-appropriate marine science um, programming for first grade, second grade, fifth grade mainly, and then um, sometimes we get called into the middle school level and the high school level and either create a new uh, lesson to bring in or cater to the 
teacher's request of what they want to um, highlight with their students. Oh, so you're going into the classroom and, and teaching. Yes. Before COVID, that was what we did regularly for several years, I think close to six or seven years. And then COVID hit and we put the pause on our, a lot of our programming is very hands-on, tactile, touching things. <laughs> so that didn't really um, fit well with what was going on with COVID. So we haven't, we, I've, done a couple things here and there um, at Montessori Del Mar and a couple different teachers that have reached out, but uh, kind of shifted to virtual um, stuff for a little while, using our visitor center as a place to showcase our um, tide pool critters in the aquarium and our specimens down there. Oh, great. Are there any other education programs that the Noyo Center sponsors? Um, we, let's see, we do summer camps and we um, offer educational tours to uh, different schools that reach out to us. We just had Anderson, excuse me, Anderson Valley High School came to us, two classes came last week and we did a whole uh, tour of our Discovery Center and had different activities for the kids to rotate through. We have um, visiting science teachers that seek us out every year and they bring their classes and then um, getting ready to launch a, um, it's called uh, Talking Trash Again, Healthier Choices for Our Ocean, a whole, um, educational programming based around plastics that'll be peer-to-peer um, education so we'll go into high school science classes work with them teach them a certain level of uh, curriculum then have them go into the eighth grade class and teach the eighth graders and then have the eighth graders go into the fifth grade class and teach the fifth graders and each class will um, experience doing a trash audit which involves taking the plastics and the trash and laying it out on a tarp and um, dividing it according to the numbers on the bottom of the containers and what's landfill, what's compostable, what's single use kind of a thing to really open their eyes as to what's in the bag that we throw all of our trash in. Oh, <laughs> I, I love hearing that. It reminds me, I, a long time ago, I used to teach a course to young adults about basic ecology. And for a week, I would make them carry a log around, <laughs> categorizing all the trash that they had thrown out. I actually wanted to make them carry their trash. But uh, I was ready for you to say that because I've had a teacher that I knew, Andy Wellsprings, who taught at yeah. Mendocino High, the sonar class. He made his students do that. They, it's quite... they pushed back a little on that, particularly uh -huh, with, the, sure. with the lunch bag waste. So <laughs> we found a middle yeah. ground. But I do think it's a really compelling way to really look at what you're throwing away and it's it's just different yeah when you when you really have Most to like definitely. think about it and write about it or carry it that's great yeah <laughs> um well i doubt that you're well I, i'll just start by asking you what really inspired you to to lead this discussion about plastics um, a combination of a couple of things, um, probably about six years ago, maybe a little less, little, give or take a year or two, Janet Self of Flockworks, um, I believe somebody had, that she knew made a donation in her husband's honor and wanted um, art and science education um, to be promoted through the use of that small donation. And so together we collaborated and uh, experimented with the intersection of art and science and using plastics in the ocean as a uh, place to discuss the impact of plastics on the environment and then 
did everything from had floats in the fourth of july parade a couple of years in a row we had a earth day trash fashion show we had a couple of different things that we did um, along those lines so that was where i really started paying attention and i read the book um, plastic a toxic love story <laughs> which was extremely informative and from there just kind of started my own personal activism with changing my ways so i could have less of an impact on the planet and then i just realized like i said earlier that in just sharing what i've learned with friends i've had one friend that was really upset and kind of almost like pissed <laughs> he's like how come this isn't common knowledge why aren't people talking about this and so i thought hmm between this grant that we're getting ready to launch and uh the fact that covid i think sadly uh, was a backlash of whatever progress we were making forward on that level because i think it caused people to be more fearful of picking up trash when they're out on the beach or anywhere for that matter so and then the production of us needing to be healthy and prevent germs and all that so a lot of packaging increased so i yeah. think between all of that i just thought hmm, i think having a talk about this would be valuable i think so i mean the, sing the single-use plastics in particular in relation to changes that occurred after the pandemic set in, like even myself, I, like I felt that I was using a lot more single-use plastics than I had before um, for yeah, exactly. reasons. And, and in part because you didn't have the option, you couldn't even bring your coffee exactly. into the coffee shop. Yeah, exactly. That was hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> I was really struggling with that, for sure. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that some more as it was in our discussion, because I also found that, you know, you it's really hard to change a habit. And, and so I had gotten into these really great habits, and then I had to change my habits. And now I'm trying to reform them. Back. Yes, exactly. That's why that's another challenge. You bring up a really valuable point in that we've all been through so many different levels of they trained us to separate our recycling into the three different colored crates now it's all in one thing and now we have a new person managing that or a new company managing that and so when things change too much you lose people in the shuffle unfortunately yeah that's true well plastics are as we we're saying they're just prolific in all of our environments i mean they're in our streets they're in our rivers, they're in creeks and oceans, they're in the air, and they yeah. haven't always. So do you want to talk a little bit about the history of plastic and how we became so reliant on this material? Yeah, it was really interesting because when I was reflecting on, you know, growing up and, and just like, when did I notice plastics? And so I naively hadn't thought it had started as soon as it did but when i started preparing for this talk for noyo center um i came across advertising and realized that a lot of the shift of uh convenience happened in the 1950s all of a sudden there was this big push to use paper plates and don't spend your time doing dishes when you have company just put your food on the paper plates and throw them out so just that little slight reframe from you know, cooking a meal and putting it on China and having your company use dishes to paper plates was a big shift to begin with. And then it wasn't too long after that, that then 
the cardboard paper cup you served the drink in got soggy, so in comes plastic cups. And then from there, the, it just kind of like was the snowball that became the soccer ball that became the boulder. <laughs> and it just picked up momentum over the years. And, you know, honestly, it seems like inventive minds, um, which is, I, I give thanks for the inventive minds in the world, but with each inventive mind, came along another inventive mind and saw like, oh, this person came up with this. What can I do to make it that much better? So it went back as far as the 1800s. I think it was 1839 that, um, excuse me, Charles Goodyear came up with natural rubber, which when I was thinking of it the other night, I was thinking Goodyear tires, but before tires, it was rubber soles on shoes. Um, and then I think one of the People that got a lot of attention was a man by the name of Alexander Parks, who in 1862 uh, showcased his invention of Parkesine, I think is how you say the word, um, at an international exhibition in London. And it was an or organic material that he derived from cellulose that he discovered that once it was heated, it could be molded and retained its sheep shape when it cooled. And then a few years after that, there was another man, John Wesley Hyatt, who came up with celluloid as a substitute for ivory and billiard boards, because we used to do, excuse me, billiard balls. We used to have pool tables and the balls for, pool tables were made from ivory, so he came up with an alternative to that. Um, soon after that, then in came PVC in the 1872, 1872, um, 1938 was the first, uh, I guess, polytetrafluorothylene, you can't even say half these names, otherwise known as Teflon. And then shortly after that was nylon and neoprene in 1939. 1941 was polyethylene terephthalate, which is the bottles that we get a lot of our sodas in and uh, drinking water. And then um, kind of like the World War II kind of brought up a level of convenience and lighter materials and easier way to deal with the um, shift in this convenient culture. And then it was um, 1970 was the, I think when the plastic uh, soft drink bottles came out um, and it was in 73 that they came up out with what we have now or like the first version of what we have now for soda bottles. Um, and then Coca-Cola and Pepsi introduced the world to the first two liter big bottle of soda in the late 70s so we could all take it on our picnics and not have the bottles break. <laughs> so, and one of the statistics that's a hard one to, to hear, I'll just mention too right now is as that convenient soda bottle got invented right nowadays, every minute retail outlets across the world move more than 1 million plastic bottles. So that right there is just wow. like eek. <laughs> and then according to um, Science Magazine, about 8 million metric tons of land-based plastic ends up in the ocean, which is an equivalent uh, is equivalent to five grocery bags of plastic on every foot of coastline around the world. Mm. And that a quarter of the ocean's plastic likely originates from uh, 10 rivers, eight of which are in Asia. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, starting back, you know, hundreds of years ago when it was a very useful product and it does have a really vital role in our culture, especially in medical world, scientific world, our gadgets, our appliances, our cars. So it, it's not, I don't want to demonize it 
because it, it really has played, um, it's saved lives, it's done all kinds of miraculous things. We've just um, become a culture of convenience combined with corporations that um, pretty much provide the items that we are, you know, subjected to buy. Like, you know, if there's no, if you get like a soda and it's only offered in a plastic bottle, you can't make the choice of a glass bottle. So it kind of all that kind of gained momentum. And um, here we are with it being definitely out of control. <laughs> right. I, I, yeah. I, like the thought when you said that billiard balls were made from ivory and you think about, oh, yeah. that, that came from animal tusks. And so yeah. here we're protecting, you know, a species potentially yeah. by switching to plastics, but then it still comes at this great cost. And yes, exactly. I think you're right. It's so tough. And there's, and I don't know a lot about this, but I was listening to some, thing recently that was talking about like the different costs associated with you know generating a plastic bottle or generating an aluminum can and then th the cost of recycling that bottle or recycling that aluminum can and so it seems like from a economic perspective it's not really in a lot of these companies best interest from just from like a financial perspective to not use plastics and so i think that's another challenge that we have to come across is that yeah. we're not valuing the total cost of the plastic right it's just the manufacturing cost and it doesn't take yes. into account all of these other impacts that yeah, are exactly. <laughs> affecting um the health of animals but also of humans and so mm -hmm. do you want to talk a little bit about what some of these impacts are that at least the ones that we know <laughs> yeah that's i was gonna say that's all i can share is what i do know and i don't think we really um i don't think the science has caught up with the level of the impacts via the ocean via the animal life that's consuming it via the animals that we consume all of that so what I can say is um, you brought up a good point in that it's become a convenience of money. It's cheaper for a lot of the manufacturers to do stuff with plastic. And we have also gotten accustomed to appreciating cheap goods. Um, we didn't always um, operate in that manner. Nowadays, it's, it's like the cheaper, the better, but at what cost? Because you may pay less for the product, but it, uh, you know, like shoes, I think of shoes, for an example, we went from, they were made by hand by people in leather in different places to now they're mass produced mostly in China. You buy a pair of shoes, you spend $100 on them, they might only last six months. So are you really saving money if you're gonna have to buy another pair in six months? So anyways, I digress on that note. Um, but plastics is uh, the extraction and the transportation of it alone creates greenhouse gases. Um, and it, like you mentioned earlier, um, most of it is created from fossil, I mean, excuse me, from, yeah, fossil fuels. So either from crude oil or from um, uh, uh, natural gas. So just there, those two um, items are, you know, pretty intense on their own. Um, and then what happens with the extraction and the transportation is you deal with the potential of leaks, You've got drilling for oil, fuel, combustion issues. You get disturbance of land where forests are 
uh, logged fields are cleared so that pads and pipeline pipelines can be laid down um, and the biggest issue that doesn't get talked about a lot in my opinion is that a bulk of these um, issues happen commonly in poor communities of color and create health issues due to the close proximity to the people's homes and communities i mean i think there's cancer alley in louisiana if i'm not mistaken or i forget where specifically is but so just the making of the plastic alone is intense on the environment um and then not to mention i don't know that we know the impact of what it's like to drink quote unquote bottled water that's been stored in a plastic bottle for however long it's stored before we get it and then I think recycling started out as a manageable effort and then because we're producing more at a master quantity combined with our addiction to convenience we've now created more than we can keep up with managing in the recycling level um what else did i want to share on that note yeah so i just say producing it um and then the the other thing is that the petrol companies are um, banking on the fact that we've all paid attention to our impact of gas and greenhouse gases created by our cars. So as people become more aware and make different choices and buy the electric cars and do the alternative choices out there, they see the benefit of plastic now is where their focus is. And I've heard that a lot of them are ramping up production of factories to produce plastic in the next three to five years. Exxon in particular is going to build one of the biggest ones yet in Texas. At least there's plans for that to happen. Chevron, one in Pennsylvania. So um, that's the, the part that's really hard for me to, to, to deal with is the fact that we're consumers and people in a country where a bigger corporation is seeing their economic value, but not at the cost of humanity and or the planet yeah. by any means. It doesn't seem like it's and it's wild because more and more cars are plastic now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's that too, which exactly. is, has been kind of revolutionary, but again there's this trade-off and it's 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 a really challenging one the shoe situation i struggle with that personally i have you know doctors saying like oh you should not keep a pair of tennis shoes for more than a year and then i look at these shoes and i'm like they're fine <laughs> yeah, exactly. i can't throw those away um yeah yeah well and so in particular i'm curious about the effects to our marine environments yeah, I didn't even get to that part yeah, yet. I mean, there's so much, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And so that the the big issue is land-based trash ends up in the ocean. And um, so it's whether it's the rivers or the water runoff from the cities or whatever the case may be, uh, it doesn't mean that, like, if we clean, kept all the trash, that the plastic would go away because the plastic's here. It's going to be here longer than any of us. But if we could kind of impart the the valuable lesson of the fact that whatever's you know littered around on our land is going to end up in the ocean and then not only is it going to end up in the ocean it's going to be there for however long it's going to be there being broken down by sun exposure bring, being broken down by currents and broken down into microplastics which is you know i think it's what, five millimeters is considered microplastic which is like the tip of a pencil so that's like very microscopic so i think we're all aware of the bigger stuff and what we find on the beaches when we 
go do beach cleanups, but what we can't really grok is the level of the microplastics and then the nanoplastics. And then there's what's called nurdles, which is the little teeny tiny bits that companies can make that then another company can purchase to create plastic with. So you've got all these micro aspects of the plastic. It ends up in, um, I think, as far as the, the the way it impacts the animals in the ocean, there's entanglements. We keep hearing about the whales getting entangled. We hear about the whales that end up washing up dead on the beach that are skinny but have a belly full of plastic um, because animals will eat it and think that they're getting their food, but it's not nourishing. So 60% of whales, 50% of turtles, 90% of seabirds are ingesting plastic. So combination of the entanglement and the ingestion combination is is um, really tragic. And I think it was the sea turtle with the sea straw that went viral, the video on oh, yeah. whoever, I forget what, if it was an organization or who, but there's the person who rescued the sea turtle and removed the plastic straw out of its nose that made everybody go, what? So... Um, so, yeah, so the impacts on the marine life is uh, huge in the, those obvious ways. And then even down into the planktonic level of things, um, you know, they're finding zooplankton with microplastics in it. And so then the little fish eats that, middle, you know, goes up the food chain and it right. causes more issues the further up the food chain it goes. Right. I even read that there's so much microplastic that it's also inhibiting the amount of sunlight that hits uh, the mm -hmm. aquatic algaes and kelps and phytoplanktons mm -hmm. and things and so yeah it's it's crowding that. them out for light yeah. which is really interesting and that's yeah. so important this is the the basis of the food web right so you're yes, talking about exactly. the primary producers the the essence of the ocean and and we're finding plastics and there so it that means it really is everywhere. I, I remember one of the first times that I got really interested in um, plastics in the ocean was there was the story about the, the albatross that were dying and they were yes. realizing that they were eating plastic because it looks like a fish egg. It looks like mm -hmm. food. Um, and that was kind of tied to the discovery of some of these um, garbage patches there's all these kinds of names for them there's and there's many of them but there's one in the pacific that i think is the biggest the great pacific garbage patch which is the way it was the way i kind of understand it it's not so much like an island of garbage but it's like a cloudy soup of plastic mm -hmm. and it's massive um yes. I think it I wish I could remember how large it is but it it's just where ocean currents co coalesce and there becomes a convergence zone and um, and so the ocean is kind of acting like a highway that's moving all this debris from one zone to another and then they they kind of end up in these giant um, patches and it and they they have like tiny bits of plastic and fishing gear and shoes Mm -hmm. But it's like too big to be measured. It's too big to trawl and too suspended to understand its depth. Yes, you nailed it right there. <laughs> it's just, it's mind blowing. Sure. So I, I yeah. don't know, like, what else can we learn about these massive garbage patches? Like, where's all that stuff? Where's it coming from? 
is it? Well, so a lot of it is, uh, again, land-based, and it's rivers that are bringing it down to the ocean. And a, a point that I didn't bring up earlier that I discovered more about in um, preparing for tonight was another issue is microfibers. So when we wash the fleece and the... Uh, that's the other thing that's changed over the years. When I was a kid, most things were made out of cotton. <laughs> you know, nowadays, a lot of stuff has gone up in the percentage of what's made out of acrylic. And when you wash acrylic, like if you were to look at your fleece jacket up close, there's all these teeny tiny little fibers. So those go in our, you know, happen in our washing machine, which goes, runs off in the waste management. And waste management, or not, excuse me, not waste management, water treatment plants can't even catch some of the smaller fibers. So then those end up in the ocean. So some of the suggestions that I was reading about are they make a washing machine filter to catch that, which is a little bit of an investment like any kind of water filter system. But then they also apparently make bags that you can, kind of like mesh bags that you can put your fleece and your acrylic clothing into when you wash it and it'll collect the fibers inside the bag and then you can clear out the bag and you still are dealing with it ending up probably in the trash but um but yes i guess the the best way to explain it is um as i was reading more about it today because it's like every day i find out more and more um that uh, one of the incredible organizations that inspires me is the ocean clean ocean cleanup and so they're working with um collecting plastics out of the rivers in particular because there's apparently 10 um, rivers let's see here i've got my notes um looks like uh 10 of the 10 rivers in the global area mostly in asia um three in china um couple in india um one in uh, africa brazil and so um and apparently the Philippines, um, I'm not sure that I'm going to say it right, P-A-S-I-G, Pasig, mm. is one of the biggest culprits, rivers in, in the Philippines. And mm. so what ends up happening is the, um, the rivers are what bring it to the ocean. So if we can begin to pay more attention to that, and the Ocean Cleanup Organization has boats. In fact, they launched one in Los Angeles in the river down there. Um, it apparently has a conveyor belt and a way of collecting up the plastic that it goes up the conveyor belt, excuse me, conveyor belt, and then goes into bins inside the boat. And then the boat will bring and unload that to a truck that's waiting on land and go back out and collect more. So their goal being that if they can clean up the rivers, it'll help prevent some of it ending up in the oceans. And then because of the currents, then ending up where the garbage patches are, which are all kind of in the the western um uh, excuse me the north pacific um mm. so that that to me is makes me um feel grateful that that organization in particular is working on that note and in fact you can go to their website and they have an interactive map that will show you the rivers where they found the most and what they're doing to try to clean it up there oh that's incredible i it's, wow. it's it's so hard to understand to, you know, in developing nations, some of the challenges that, that they run into. I was traveling in Haiti and they don't have a, a garbage collection system, or at least they didn't mm -hmm. in this community that I was in. And so they burn a lot of their trash, but yes, they dump exactly. they dump a lot of it on the beach. And I mm -hmm. remember having this moment, it was around the time when California was 
developing policy around plastic bags um, in stores. And I remember having this moment thinking like, oh my gosh, this is such a huge problem. Like we're, we're doing this one thing in one state in the U.S. It's targeting one type of plastic yet all of this trash is going into the, into the ocean because it has nowhere else to go. Yeah, um, exactly. But the river stuff too. I mean, I spend a lot of time in rivers and creeks and I was just in one the other day and my dog was running beside me and I looked over and he had a plastic bottle in his mouth and it was a oil like bottle. So it was just gross on gross. <laughs> uh, uh. You're right. And you're like, Oh, yeah. this isn't our freshwater too. Yeah. So I, one of the sources I read today, 80% of the world's ocean plastic enters via rivers and coastlines 20 percent comes from marine sources such as fishing nets ropes and fleets um and when you combine factors such as climate terrain land use distance to the ocean smaller rivers are actually beginning to play a bigger role than was thought prior to this it, you know there was this idea that it was only these 10 main rivers but when you start to think about how many rivers there are um and then how that helps um you know, wind, rain, all of that. So it definitely gets you thinking on a whole different level. Right. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, um, I just want to remind our listeners that this is the Ecology Hour, and tonight I am live in the studio. I'm Anna Halligan. I'm interviewing Sue Coulter, and we're talking about plastics. And we, it's fun to be in the studio because that means we can answer questions. So if anybody wants to call in, we're at 707-895-2448. I'll do my best to answer the call in a timely manner, but you may have to wait a second. Um, but feel free to call in if you've got some questions. So, you know, I guess there's a, there, there are some kind of more, I mean, the, the topic of plastics, there's, there's, how they're derived and where they're at. And then there's kind of the question about what we do about them. And most of us have heard about the three R's, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. So, you know, and, and we were just talking about habits and trying to, you know, make sure we're following good practices. So what are some of the ways that we can um, reduce and reuse plastics? We'll start with those two. And I don't, you know, any good I tips. Add onto the list re refuse that's the new one that oh. i'm beginning to come to turn like just refuse to buy it and that's what has impacted me since starting that work with janet self four or five years ago was i just started to think okay what's what do i love what do i get a lot of and so i started saving the single-use plastic what i was enjoying confessions that i like annie chen's uh, veggie dumplings they're frozen <laughs> so that's literally single-use plastic so i collected enough of after like a month of use that i made a skirt out of them for a trash fashion outfit and then i just <laughs> decided that like do i really need to have that as much as to see how much you know i i use just from purchasing that one item so i started to refuse to continue some of my favorite food habits i i used to be a weakness for fresh pasta comes in a container that if it is even recyclable i don't know that it gets recycled mm. so i gave up that i make my own yogurt because they that's the other thing is companies have discovered that they might have used a certain type of a plastic to begin with but then they've discovered oh there's this sturdier one so let's give up using this one that 
you know, might be more likely recycled and go for the sturdier ones. So I make my own yogurt. I started making my own deodorant. I'm uh, looking into making my own toothpaste. So like, that's just what I'm choosing to do. I wash and reuse my plastic produce bags. I leave them in the back of my car with my to-go reusable bags. I keep a, a plastic to-go cup with a straw, a metal straw for myself. So when I go wanting to get that iced tea from the cafe, I don't, I refuse to take another plastic cup. I bring in my cup. I use, you know, bamboo cutlery. I have one of those little fork spoon knife set in my, you know, uh, glove box. So I kind of have tried to develop it so that it's all close at hand in my car so that I don't have to do that. Like, oh, I don't have it. I'm just going to buy that, you know. Um, but then it also brings up the piece that I was saying earlier where it's like, it, you know, we are where we are because of the fact that the corporations have shifted a lot to single-use plastic. And most of it, the plastic issue is packaging. So it's not 100% on our shoulders like they've kind of evolved it to make us feel. <laughs> so Because I will literally go over a whole moral issue in the car when I go and decide to buy it and go, oh my God, did I really buy this? I did. Why did I buy this? I don't, do I really need to eat this right now? Um, you know, whatever the case may be, but it's really where some of the activism can be besides our own personal choices is to start uh, working on either approaching the corporations directly or looking into creating legislation that then makes them be held accountable um, I was reading an article in the Huffington Post today that I think England was trying to, as a government, uh, have some kind of a tax on plastic. Like if anybody was selling plastics that weren't using recycled plastics, like if their products weren't using a recycled plastic, that they were going to get taxed, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. they were trying to shift the way that consumerism is having around it. So like making the company responsible to be taxed if they weren't using you know, recycled plastic if they're using just virgin plastic. So there's there's <clears throat> multiple layers of how we can all begin to try to turn the tables on this. But I think a huge part is starting with one thing you're willing to shift to yourself. And then once you get used to that, pick up another two or three, <clears throat> have conversations with each other around it, because you'll find out like, oh, I never thought to do that. That's a great idea friend of mine uses pillowcases to put her produce in the refrigerator you oh, know sprays her greens and puts them in pillowcases you know i learned from going down the rabbit hole of looking at our new company that takes care of our trash and our recycling if we were better as americans at rinsing our recycling because that's why china quit taking it from mm. us four years ago it's because they were tired of having dirty recycling because we won't we don't take that extra step to rinse the yogurt out of the container or we leave the nut butter in the bottom of the container or, you know, whatever it may be, we're lazy. We're like, we like the quickness. We like the convenience um, as a culture. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. But if we just were better about keeping things clean, I used to crush milk cartons because I thought space made a difference. But the machinery that sorts out stuff if it's not humans recognizes the shape of a carton so when you crush it it doesn't recognize that square shape so then it won't pull it out and put it to the whatever pile it goes into the cycle mm. and then the other thing that surprised me was uh bottle caps technically aren't quote-unquote recyclable but if you have let's say a smoothie container you rinse it out 
if you put the cap with it and you put that into the recycling, then those two together can go and get recycled, which is different than if you have like 60 bottle caps and you throw them into the recycling because they're not attached to the base of mm. the item that they're meant to be connected with. And I'm assuming that has to do with how they sort and recycle the different levels of plastic. Oh, man. You know, it's funny, the, the <laughs> rinsing things out. So I, I recently learned, like, oh, when I learned, was learning that most of our recycling is not being recycled. In fact, um, I think the EPA had said that about 8.7% of plastic that's discarded is actually recycled, which is yes, pretty so. um, discouraging, to say the least. Yes. But. <laughs> That's for sure. And, and and learning why that was. And, and, and it was also surprising to me that most of our recycling is getting shipped across the globe and most of our trash is getting shipped across yeah. the globe. But the rinsing part, because I at one point I felt like, depending on where you were and who was managing your trash, they were telling us, don't wash anything because we have to wash it anyway. So I stopped rinsing out ah, all of my bottles because I thought that's what we were supposed to do to save water exactly. and then learned that I was just contributing to the mess. So I'm rinsing out my recycling again. Um, but it is definitely a hot topic and, 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 and it kind of can, for sure. it can kind of feel like a lost cause. So like, mm -hmm. what do we say to people? Because I don't think that it is. And, and I know part of the issue is just actually finding ways to use recycled products like showing exactly. the market that consumers want products made out of recyclable goods but yeah what 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 do you have to say to folks that when you're just in that place of like i don't even know what to do any anymore yeah it's understandable because it, it does feel like a, a doom and gloom and sort of like okay let's just crawl in the corner and give up um what i can say is we're definitely past the point of recycling our way out of it so we can't solve where we're at at this point, at this moment in time, just by recycling. Um, but we can uh, work on a local level, like, you know, out of the talk the other night, one of my uh, listeners made the suggestion about what about having a monthly, you know, meeting of people that are interested to come and either share some of the solutions they're finding or come together and say, okay, what do we want as members of this coast to happen in regards to plastic? Do we want to see if we can get all straws banned from any business on the coast or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think starting locally is a huge thing to begin with, like just meaning like Fort Bragg, Mendocino coast. And then if we can bring that into the county, look at how all the amazing measures that have been created over the years preventing GMOs coming to the community to whatever the case may be. So maybe people that have helped make those kind of measures happen, we get together, we brainstorm, we sit down, and we try to come up with a measure that deals with just our county's plastic impact. And then the state, thankfully, is definitely been working on several different bills. Um, in my talk the other night, I just find my page that has that. Uh, like there's a Break Free from Plastic Act um, that's already been, I think it was voted in. Um, let's see, let me see here. The bill makes certain producers of products like packaging, single-use products, beverage containers, food service products, fiscally responsible for collecting, managing, and recycling or composting those products after consumer use. 
and that the goal is by beginning January 1st, 2023, that the bill phases out a variety of single-use products, such as plastic utensils, um, and that it, it sets forth provisions to encourage the reduction of single-use products, including programs to refund consumers for returning them. Um, <clears throat> the EPA, uh, Environmental Protection Agency, must publish guidelines for a national standardized labeling system for recycling and composting receptacles. Because you nailed it right there. It's like you remember being told one thing with the water. I remember being told one thing about the caps. And like, so you've got a bunch of people that have mixed information about what actually works. Um, so I think that'll make a big difference. And then there's a bill, SB 54. Um, that will require all packaging in the state to be recyclable or compostable by 2032 with the goal of cutting plastic packaging by 25% in 10 years and requiring 65% of all single-use plastic packaging to be recycled in the same time frame. Um, and then I think there's also one that's supposed to be educate people about what is and what's not recyclable. So like it should have uh an image on the bottom that has like an arrow you know line through the circle that says it's not recyclable so that it's very clear um it's really confusing because people see that the chasing arrow triangle symbol on the bottom and they think oh cool it's called wish cycling you throw it in and you just hope it's gonna end up being recycling um and there's a number system on that and what i learned in my investigating is that the higher the number the more of a chemical cocktail it is and the less likely that it actually gets recycled. So my understanding is what of that 9% that does get recycled, it's typically the PET, which is the number one plastics, which is like the um, drinking water bottles, soda bottles. So those are commonly recycled, um, but then the higher up you go, the less likely. So like the um, compostable, to go where that I'm so grateful a lot of the restaurants and businesses are using that needs to go to a facility that actually can do that recycling process but a lot of people we put them in the recycling bin and hope that our county does that so and I, I'm not sure where those end up um, so you know I'd say be more responsible about what effort you do in the way of recycling cleaning look online at our our new distributors, CNS, or I forget the name. Mm -hmm. yes. from it, something Solutions. Waste Solutions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you go and you check their website out, it's really clearly marked out what they take and then their suggestions of how to best prepare it for them. Um, and then let's start acting locally. Let's start getting together and see what kind of legislative stuff we can do to help make changes here on the coast it's already a destination for tourism for the beauty so it makes total sense that maybe we could become the destination because look at this community that's managed to eliminate plastics from their city <laughs> you know mm -hmm. i'd love to see that happen i don't know how long it'll take but i'm i'm willing to to do whatever steps to help that along in the process myself oh man um, so yeah so every little bit that people can do you know it would be i think it matters and i guess the other piece that i learned is we think things are getting recycled and a lot of times what's happening is they get downcycled. So like those number one plastic bottles, rather than be recycled to become another bottle like it was, they get downcycled into carpets, park benches, different materials like that. And then we're making more bottles with virgin plastic. 
So that right there to me is a big issue. If we could stop using pure virgin plastic to make new items and do more either upcycling, downcycling, recycling, whatever part of the cycle you want to do. But if we could just make that shift happen, I think that would be huge. Right. Because, I mean, my understanding is that um, it's a lot cheaper for the companies to use virgin plastic. And then there's like a limit to some extent on mm-hmm. how much you can recycle a bottle. Do you know how many times you can Yes, I looked that up today because you had that question for me. The maximum is apparently 10 times. Oh, that's more than what I it is, is. I know. And that's maximum. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, two to three times. Because what ends up happening being that it's a polymer, a long chain of, of things, is the more it gets melted down and re, you know, cycled, it gets that much more compromised. So then I think what's happening is there's some recycled plastic combined with a little bit of virgin plastic to then make bottles for new use. So that was really interesting to learn. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, the debates that go on at my house about that recycling <laughs> sign, and it's almost, it's tough when you when you start to really look into this and then you realize that, you know, well, that's probably not going to get recycled anyways, or that, that, that can't be recycled. And also the plastics that have the higher number are actually the ones that can be more toxic to humans too. I had a yes, professor in yes. college who really focused on um, the leaching of phthalates from from plastics and and my understanding from his research is you know when exposed to heat those higher numbered plastics have more of an ability to leach out these chemical compounds that are really not good for humans yeah and that's the piece we don't know how that's working in the ocean because Mm -hmm. sun exposure is breaking it down and then so we don't know what's besides breaking down into small pieces, is actually being released into the water. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and, and interestingly enough, this professor was looking at that, and, and it's scary because it affects, generally, these chemical compounds affect reproductive organs and yes. hormones. So that's where, if you've ever heard the story about the frog that like changes its gender, they they think that could be related to these um, chemicals that are leaching into our waterways and changing hormones. Um, It's really pretty wild stuff. Yeah, Um, definitely. Well, don't want to end on like a a dismal (laughs) no, because the amazing thing is is that there is a lot of innovation that um, Mm -hmm. has come up and that probably will come up. And I think you're right. Like if we can, um, develop enough uh, support and policy to help kind of push the um, manufacturers and um, beyond to, to 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 look into this more i think w- we could find even more innovation so i'm curious you know what what are some of the solutions we haven't discussed it like in particular there's one that really interests me that's tied to um you know uh, fishing and crabbing and i heard recently that they're um, are some they're looking at trying to develop new types of crabbing pots or maybe they've already developed them that have like a quick release so that mm-hmm. animals aren't getting hung up um, although that might end up with more plastics in the ocean so I'm not really sure if that's a win but like what well, you know yeah. what, what is some of the stuff that's going on to try and deal with this these issues well I think a couple different organizations are developing um, that are trying to create create circular systems so like the way it is now if you were to trace plastics from point a to point d it's a linear 
process. You know, it's like we take the crude oil, natural gas, we produce it, that releases its issues in the air. It gets transported, you know, like, and so from start to finish, it's taking from the earth and then it's ending up back in the earth. So if mm-hmm. we can find a way to create more circular solutions in that, um, then that'll help as well. And so there's a organization that I found, on, I think it's an East Coast called Brightmark. <clears throat> and so they're very big on that. And they're trying to team with different um, other organizations to see how we can tackle the waste management issue, the recycling issue, and create a circular system. And there was, um, I believe, a dairy farm that they had collaborated with. And I'm going to see if I can just pull it up here really quickly because it's not in my notes. Um, and I think what they were doing was they were combining the, um, I think they were trying to like do something along the lines of using the, the dairy farm. Hang on. I'm just going to pull it out because I don't want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> Let me see if I can do it really quickly. You know how that is. I'll say it and then somebody will hold me to it. And I'll be like, oh, okay, I said that. Yeah. I live in perpetu- <laughs> that is, perpetual that's why fear I'm like, of I'm, that. That's <laughs> why I, I start out like I'm no expert. This is just me as a, a common individual who cares about the planet. So let me see. Very knowledgeable though. I mean, while well, thank you. It it's up, just been yeah. because of, of just my own um, curiosity with it. And then because I love the earth, I care about it so much that I'm just like, okay. So yeah. So Larson family is a uh, fourth generation dairy farmer to combine with this organization called bright mark. And they're operating anaerobic digesters that collect and clean methane from the cow manure and deliver it back into local interstate gas pipelines as energy to be used by homes and businesses. So dealing with that issue of methane that usually gets released into the air and creates the greenhouse gases. So they've got these huge pools, anaerobic digesters, they collect the methane from the cow manure and they're turning it into energy. So that right there, I'm like, that's a great start. You know, think right. about that. We didn't even touch on the dairy thing. Not that we need to go there right. in the last few minutes of the show, but you know. So I was appreciating that. Here's this company that's just trying to come up with different ways of of doing things. Well, and, and that's so, really and how yeah our natural ecosystems function is that there mm-hmm. is this kind of circular feedback loop, and so you know it's that's been working for longer than people have been on the globe. So yeah, it makes exactly. A lot of sense. Exactly. Take a that's for sure page out of the planet that, yeah well and the other thing is that it, it all it started out as natural polymers like rubber mm-hmm. and things like that were mm-hmm. found in nature it was just as an inventive mind an inventive mind came up with something they figured out sadly chemicals or synthetic things to then make that natural polymer be more long lasting so if we did it before that way i don't see why we can't come up with new solutions that way we can come up with textiles that you know use recycled plastic and you know that's what police kind of came out of that era of like oh we should take the plastic bottles and make police clothing or you know however the case may be i remember reading somewhere i feel like it was maybe in africa where i feel like either uh, somebody a student had come up with the idea of taking the plastic bottles and use it as insulation in between the walls Oh, you know, just as like an attempt to, you know, like here it is, it's trash. Like let's let's put it between the walls to make the house a little bit warmer when it's a cooler time of the year. So there's definitely lots of inventive minds. Um, There's companies that are coming up with all kinds of like refillable products. There's suggestions to start sort of like we used to have 
I mean, California has never been as great as other states. Other states, you could return your bottles and your cans and get a nickel back. And in college, that's how we bought more beer. (laughs) We collected all the change from the, you know, so we could start having deposits on things. Or you go to your cafe and instead of getting a paper cup, you put a deposit down and you get to take one of their mugs home. You bring it back and they'll, you know, wash it or, you know, whatever, sanitize it and then put it out to use again. Like we can get really creative. We've, we come up with solutions all the time. So it's just a question of, you know, um, doing that. Uh, one of my friends was telling me about a, a business in Canada, which I was thinking it'd be so great if it starts something like this there, um, where it was like nothing, everything in the store was, uh, not packaged and they had an industrial cleaner that cleaned tubs and, you know, containers. You could either bring your own, but you could just bring in your things that you wanted to take the items home in. So mm. you would go to the counter and get, instead of it being in a, you know, plastic packaged thing. So like, wouldn't it be cool if we could create a business locally that does that, like mm-hmm. has cleaning products that are bulk. I mean, uh, some of the local stores, Harvest, Corners, Down Homes, does what they can in that way Mm -hmm. but how great if we could have a whole entire store that could be all non-packaged things that we could go to get our shampoo bars and our cleaning product pelts that we put in a bottle and add water to you know whatever the thing may be so i'm inspired to try to see that kind of a uh, move in that direction that it could become a a business and employs people and then it gives us all different options which is something that we need we need those types of cool innovative businesses in our community anyway so i think there's so i'll keep you posted on that i have no idea how that that resonates with me i would love to be able to create something like that or make that happen you know well i'm I'm really enjoying this conversation and we are running out of time i clearly must have done something (laughs) wrong because i can't imagine (laughs) there aren't any callers but but um well it's a big it's a big topic so it's easy to run out of time on yeah um but before we go you know do any is there more information like if people want to learn about the noyo center or if they're curious about programs yeah so let me put it yeah put a couple plugs in for the noyo center so um we uh you can reach you can check us out at online um www.noyocenter.org we have a new um addition to our uh amazing other places around town we've got our visitor center out on the north on the headlands trail called the crow's nest we've got our discovery center downtown on main street and then we just acquired the old carini's restaurant and we have the slack tide cafe which i highly recommend coming down and checking out awesome deck to watch harbor seal sea lions seagulls river otters enjoy good coffee good food This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.